At the start of the last decade, Dan Ariely said that behavioural science was like teenage sex. Many say they are doing it, but very few actually are. Fast forward 10 years, and we now have over 600 teams around the world applying the science, but not without its challenges. So whilst the industry has the potential for a huge impact, we sure have some growing pains to go through first. Growing pains that are better out than in. Join me as I speak with 20 behavioural science leaders on the challenges they face with applying the science, getting it off their chests, all with the hope that together we might learn something that nudges us along. So if you're already applying behavioural science, or if you're about to start, this is a podcast for you. So, you might ask, why the podcast on the growing pains of the applied behavioural science industry? For the last nine years, I've been busy applying the science at the behavioural science practice at Ogilvy. And like all of us practitioners, I've had a lot to learn from applying the behavioural science to many different organisations. But I think the tide has changed now, and that we have more to learn from each other than we do from our individual projects. And the hope for this podcast is that it helps us practitioners have more of those conversations. Welcome to Growing Pains. Welcome back, practitioners, to episode four of the Growing Pains of Applied Behavioural Science. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the more invisible forces that get in the way of behavioural science happening. First up, we're going to speak to Dan Berry, who since our last episode has actually moved across to NHSX to run their behavioural science work. So Dan, in terms of soft skills, have you ever had any regrets about how you've done things? Um, a couple of times. I'm not going to give specifics, but um, as a way to show the value of behavioural science, of nudging, you know, we've come in and um, really wanted to prove the point, you know, show the value, even at the very, you know, the changing a few words and getting a big difference sort of type project. Um, and have come across as a bit of a know-it-all smarty pants. You know, I can think of a, a couple of projects when we've, we've effectively, we've been successful um, in healthcare projects. Um, but we've not won friends in doing that. You know, we've, in terms of long-term benefits of growing the potential for behavioural science, we've been seen as external people who've come in, done some of their magical things, changing a few words and then left again. And for people whose jobs it is to work on these challenges, whether they're things like prescribing or antibiotic resistance or medications adherence, all these very complicated things, um, it's as, as well as bringing their skills, there's the doing it in that deliberately collaborative way that people feel part of a process and not done onto. Because success on its own is not enough. You might have a, a one-off you know, win with, a, with your changing a few words nudge but does that lead to that further upstream project next and you know really building behavioral science into an organization yeah probably not and I, I confess I've been on the wrong side of that a couple of times. So collectively we should all focus on not coming across as total smarty pants. The lure of the lights is there with behavioral science people are very impressed by it very excited by it and when you're the new person in the room it's all too tempting to try and take all of that glory. But really, if we want long-term engagements, if we want to get further upstream, then we need to always consider doing this tastefully and bringing everyone along the journey. And just for the avoidance of any doubt, Dan Berry is one of the nicest and most humblest people working in behavioural science. So what is the antidote to this? Next up, we speak to Abigail Dalton, who heads up behavioural science at the World Bank. Abigail, from your point of view, what are the most important soft skills that a practitioner should have? Yeah, I, I think what I appreciate most about my team and, and really my, my job at the bank is that um, I 
am on a regular basis uh, the dumbest person in the room. And that's, and that's not bad, right? These are people who have, you know, they've done their PhDs and they've been working in, you know, let's say like nutrition in the Sahel for 20 years, right? I have not been working in nutrition in the Sahel for 20 years. They know much more about the context than I do. And everyone on our team recognizes this. In any situation where we're starting a project, the, the counterparts and the government clients that we're working with will know much more than we do. And we, we don't only try, I think we do respect that because um, you know any other uh, attitude would be sort of just kill the project dead in the water. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think I've been talking a bit about diagnostics, but that's why what our team really focuses on is, okay, walk us through what this looks like on the ground, right? Walk us through the journey of someone who uh, is paying their taxes in the Kosovo, you know, the Kosovo context, or is trying to feed their child uh, in India on a, on a very low income. Like, what are, you know, what does it look like when they go to the market? Who's going to the market? Um, what does it look like in the home? And so a lot of what we do is really that on the ground kind of work, trying to understand what we are very clear uh, to say that we do not know. So we're never gonna you know, do a literature review and say, here's the you know, 17 things you could possibly do. Or if we do do that, it's always the, with the caveat of, we'd really like to understand more in order to give you the most feasible intervention that we can, um, we can work on. So we really need to appreciate that behavioral science is a part of the picture rather than the entire picture. Yeah, exactly. And we're also trying to convey that to the folks we're working with. So, you know, um, the people on my team, I've heard stories where they'll go uh, to visit a refugee camp to look at, you know, cook stove use or anything like this. Um, and usually, not usually, often there's a someone they're working with from the government or, um, you know, an, an organization on the ground who will say, we might ask them a question. They say, oh, well, this is what it is. And, and um, so, you know, some, my, my boss, Randall, will talk about it times where he said, well, why don't we just ask, you know, this person who's in line or why don't we ask this, you know, the person we're, we're talking to right now. And sometimes their answer surprises the, the government counterpart we're working with. And I, so I think, you know, that's part of the learning process is understanding that our own long held assumptions, especially if you've been doing this for a long time, um, are not always correct, and that can help lead us to a, a different kind of intervention or solution that can, that can you know, improve outcomes. So not only do we need to keep ourselves in check and make sure that we're not smarty pants, we always need to make sure those around us aren't smarty pants too. We need to think about how we can get everybody to leave their assumptions at the door about what they already know. So now we know we must be humble at all times with behavioural science. Let's move on to some of the harder, softer skills. Next, we have Alex Chesterfield, Head of Behavioural Risk at the NatWest Group. So Alex, what are some of the most crucial skills from your side that applied behavioural scientists need to have? Um, this is a bit of a no-brainer. It's obviously having some skill sets in behavioural science, so both knowing the theory, the insights, um, and also the methods, and then also having the skill set to, to sell. And those two things don't always go together. So I've met some wonderfully, you know, super smart behavioural scientists, but then selling and communicating and building relationships with people in the business who have uh, hold or power over the purse strings to give you license to do that is quite a different skill set. So making sure you have those either yourself or within a team um, is really is really critical. That's interesting because I'd only really considered the need to sell behavioural science as a skill set for those who work in consultancies or agencies. But actually, of course, everybody has stakeholders that they need to persuade. And of course, being fantastic at behavioural science doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be fantastic at selling. One thing's for certain, applying behavioural science is not an individual sport. It's a team game. 
If you want to make a significant impact within an organization and in the world, you're gonna to need to work with other people to make that happen. Next, we speak with Joey Sherlock from the Center for Advanced Hindsight, who's telling us about the importance of partnerships and getting those right. So Joey, what happens when partnerships go wrong? We have had, had some experience with this on some recent projects. If you, if you lose a person, so you know, one example, we had, um, we had a project that was running for quite some time and we had a really great working relationship with the, with the key contact over there, uh, you know, helped each other out in different ways and we were able to get stuff done in, in areas where it was, was sort of unlikely. And then for, for several reasons, we, we kind of you know, lost the strength of the relationship with this person and, then, and they sort of you know, effectively turned on us and rather than sort of helping and pushing the project forward, turned on into very much a blocker. And that's, you know, that's death to any applied project. It doesn't matter how good your ideas are or how strong your methods are or how important the area you're working in is. If you can't work with your main partner and get stuff done, well, you know, that's game over. So partner management is crucial to the success of any applied behavioral science project. Out of all of the topics that I spoke to these experienced behavioral science practitioners about, partner relationships is the one that came up time and time again. This is something that we might not all talk about very publicly, but certainly has a huge impact on the work. When I asked the different leaders in the field if they had any regrets, it often came back to this idea of not putting enough emphasis on partner relationships and not spotting the bad relationships soon enough to cancel them and move on elsewhere. Our work is always going to involve lots of other people. So if we're not hiring for these skill sets, we're going to run into problems. So, where are we in terms of the soft skills needed to do applied behavioral science well? We started off with humility. We then moved on to partner relationships. Now we're going to move on to engagement. Up next, we're speaking with Nick Hobson. He's the founder and chief behavioral scientist of The Behaviorist and also the podcast host of It's All Just a Bunch of BS. Nick, what's your take on the different soft skills that will help you apply behavioral science well? Well, I'd say passion and charisma. Um, and who comes to mind is, is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, here's this guy. He's like the master science communicator. Um, I think the interest from the public in cosmology or astrophysics is 10% because of the content, because some of it's interesting when it comes to him and his work. But the other 90% is, I think, his passion, his charm, his like panache that he has. That just, it's, it's almost impossible not to be engaged when you're listening to him talk. We need the Neil deGrasse Tysons of the behavioral science world to be going into boardrooms and to be doing our bidding for us and to be talking about the work that we do with that fervor and with that level of excitement to engage. Because like, there's plenty, I'm not, when, when I was doing my PhD, there was other academics and colleagues who were far better scientists than me, but they were so dull and boring. And they probably should stay in academia for that reason. And they're better scientists. Um, they, they would do a piss poor job of, of selling the science to others. So um, I'd say that's the one thing that's, that's really important. So being passionate and charismatic are key soft skills. And it's true, I know it's true for myself, it's true for a lot of people I've spoken to. If it hadn't been for the great storytellers of our field, Rory Sutherland, Dan Ariely, Laurie Santos, if we hadn't seen those talks early on, the movement of behavioral science might not be where it is today. 
And whilst we're still in these early stages, it probably is really important that all of us that work in this field have a strong emphasis on showing our passion, being charismatic, telling great stories to bring more people into the movement. And actually, I think we're spoiled for choice in the applied behavioral sciences with great people making great content. Nick Hobson's podcast, It's All Just a Bunch of BS, is fantastic, as is our next speaker's. Christian Hunt hosts the behavioral science podcast, Human Risk. It's well worth checking out. So Christian, given that you used to work in a big bank doing behavioral science, in terms of soft skills, what were the most important for you there? So I, I think the most obvious skill is entirely in keeping with the theme, which is to say that look, behavioral science revolves around understanding you know, what drives human decision making. And if you look at a lot of the, the techniques that we use, so make things simple, make things easy, make things attractive, all those sorts of dynamics, then, then that leads you to space where you need to be able to live that yourself. Because if you're going to come to people and say, I've got this great new thing that I can help to, to, to solve your problems, and you need to be able to communicate that effectively. Because if people are looking for you to be the messenger for this thing, then it's a, you know, they're not expecting someone to turn up in a lab coat who can talk uh, technical terms. They want somebody there that can engage them. They want, dare I say it on this podcast, a Rory Sutherland type inspirer who can sit there and say, this is why this stuff makes sense. Because frankly, we know that you know, the most effective way to get to people is system one, is emotional engagement. So you need to be able to play on that level. And I would suggest that if you don't have that skill set fronting, and that's not to say everybody in the function needs that, but if you're fronting out this thing that is, that is unashamedly saying, we know about people and what makes them tick, and we've got a really good idea, then you need to be able to communicate that to your target audience, which is people. So I think if there's a disconnect between the methods in which you communicate and your target audience, in other words, you don't live the values yourself, then I think that I think there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there where people sort of go, I can see you know, that's a very academic approach. And actually what you're suggesting is something that's not academic. And particularly in the world that I was in, where there's a lot of perceived wisdom around you know, theoretical solutions. Compliance is historically, the name tells you everything you need to know, historically a world that's very theoretical. And we look at policies and rules and procedures and processes, and we try and control human behavior using logic and do things that you know, look good on paper. And so if you want to break through that, you need to be able to really speak to people about the reality of being human. And so I think that is by far the most important thing of all, because if you're not, a, if you're not able to communicate, able to persuade people, then you're not going to be able to blow some of, some of these sort of challenges out of the water because they'll look at it and say, that's lovely, but you feel like someone that's emerged from an academic discipline. There's nothing wrong with academic disciplines, but it's not going to win hearts and minds. Now, these soft skills may sound like small things, but when they become the factors that make a team successful or unsuccessful, that makes them pretty big in my books. So making sure that ourselves and those around us have these soft skills and spades is going to be a good thing for the movement of applied behavioral science. So if you're about to hire someone, make sure that they can collaborate, make sure that they are humble, and make sure that they can communicate very well. If you're running a team, make sure that they can collaborate, make sure that they are humble, and make sure that they can communicate. And even with yourself, keep yourself in check to make sure you've been very collaborative, you're good at partner management, you're very humble, and that we maintain a strong emphasis on how to communicate well within the applied behavioral sciences. We might like to think that behavioral science is all about knowing the principles and knowing the craft, but the reality of the applied space is that we need all of these soft skills in strong force. Because once we have the right behavioral science and we do it in the right way, we set all of us up for success in driving this movement forward. 
That's everything for episode four on soft skills. Join us next time on episode five, where we look at when senior air cover is important and when we're better off without it.